I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that breaks down every episode of The Sopranos one at a time. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this right now. If you love the podcast, please spread the word and support the work by visiting glow.fm slash potabing. If you'd like a pictorial and caption companion to the podcast, follow at potabing on Instagram. Also, if you'd like to play in our trivia series, DM at potabing on Instagram as well. Finally, as always, thank you for listening and being part of this journey. Coming up is my conversation with Peter Bogdanovich. Peter played Elliot, Dr. Melfi's therapist, on the show. Peter called in to share his soprano story, experiences, and touch on some of his wide-ranging and eclectic career. If you're unfamiliar with his work, it's a great rabbit hole to explore. This was a special one, and I wish the audio could have been better, but I hope you enjoy it all the same. So here it is, my conversation with the great Peter Bogdanovich. So, Peter, first off, thanks so much for doing the podcast. My pleasure. So, you're a director, writer, actor, producer, critic, and film historian. Of all of your titles, which hat has been the most challenging? That's a good question. Uh, I don't know, probably producing. And which hat do you love the most? Which leads to The Last Picture Show, um, your Oscar-nominated film, 1971, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is a rare feat, featured the music of Hank Williams prominently. Can you comment on the use of music on The Sopranos and the importance of music in presenting film or TV generally? Generally speaking, in most of my pictures, and especially Picture Show and Paper Moon and Both of the Dark, Mask. I uh, no mask. Not um, on those pictures. Most of my pictures, I use music as a uh, source music. In other words, if it was playing in a radio, radio or TV or uh, whatever photograph, uh, uh, then you'd hear the music. Otherwise, you wouldn't. It was no score. In other words, uh, that was something I I I, I like because. It kind of gives you the feeling that there's another life going on elsewhere, that the world is continuing despite the scene that we're watching. So it gives you more of a feeling of the world happening outside this call, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, however, I like scores in movies. I just don't like to use them very much. I think, you know, if you look at the older films, and certainly the newer films as well. You'll see that the music does a lot of work. It tells you what what, what you should be feeling and guides your emotions and your and your knowledge in many ways. And uh, I always thought it was effective in other people's pictures. So I love Orson Welles' scores uh, and Hitchcock. Uh, but I don't like to do it because... I feel I'd like the scene to do it and not to have to rely on the music um, to tell you how to feel. Also, I generally use music as a counterpoint. In other words, if it's 
it's obvious that you know you can up a happier song. The most glaring example of that is the last picture show where the scene starts and it's very dramatic. There's a radio playing a comedy record in the background. That's an extreme example of what I mean by counterpoint. Right, right. Now, uh, on the Sopranos, uh, David Chase did that a lot using, I think he did it almost entirely, using music as counterpoint. You're characterized as a new Hollywood director. Can you articulate what that means? Well, again, it's kind of old, new. Uh, I've been new then, but uh, I'm kind of a veteran now. Of course. Um, There was the new Hollywood, which sort of came in in the late 60s, early 70s. And there was a bunch of filmmakers who went to film school or like me, uh, on the film, wanted to make, make, I started out as an actor when I was 15 professionally and, um, then directed in the theater, um, professionally, uh, time I was 20. And, um, I didn't give up acting, but I, I sort of put it on the back burner and, you are a bona fide film scholar. Did you consult on the show in any capacity for the writing team or otherwise? Was that part of your involvement with the show or was it strictly acting? Strictly acting. Okay. Is it true that you did a card file of every movie you've seen? And do you still have that card file? I have the card file, but I, I did it for about 12 years. I, I started it when I was 12. In 1962, and I continued doing it until I finished directing the last picture show. But that would be through 1970. Yes, and I do have that. Do have that. Um, not to put you on the spot, but do you have a Mount Rushmore of cinema? Four films that kind of are your favorite, or are the most meaningful, or the most impactful. If you had to pick four to go into a cave with, what would you take? I'd have to have a Lubitsch film, because I, I, he makes me laugh. I love The Merry Widow. Uh, the Lubitsch film would be The Merry Widow. I love Lubitsch. I love Hawks. Um, I guess Rio Bravo is the most likable. Uh, and, um, oh, Hitchcock. I like Rear Window a lot. In fact, I think I got the idea to do the do source music. Because I liked Rear Window, and that's what he does in that picture. He has a score at the beginning and end at the end. But through the rest of the picture, it's all source music. So he's playing a piano or something to hear it. Uh, but otherwise, there's no, there's no score, per se. And um, Ford, I don't know which Ford. Uh, maybe The Searchers. Okay. Hawks was actually talked about on The Sopranos, Tony and Meadows' first boyfriend that gets brought home. They have a nice little encounter about him. Um, Can you talk a little about the director's company? How novel was that deal? And do deals of that nature exist today? No, I don't think so. It was a very unusual deal. And I loved it. And uh, was going to do a lot of things. But my 
partners, uh, both Coppola and Friedkin, particularly Friedkin, uh, got out of it without even directing a movie because I, I think he wanted to make more money up front. We had a limited amount of money we, we, we would get up front. The budgets were limited to $3 million or, or under. But $3 million in those days was a lot. Yeah. We made picture show for $1.3 million. Paper Moon only cost two eight. Um, even What's Up Dog wasn't that most expensive of those three, but it wasn't that much. It was about four million. Uh, so the deal was that we could do any picture we wanted without even telling the studio. It's amazing. <laughs> if it was under three million, and if it was under one and a half million, we could do any picture with, with another director. I had I had. Uh, King Dieter lined up and Orson and um, uh, I can't remember who, King Dieter and Nick Ray and Orson Welles were all going to make pictures of this Rex so we said it fell apart before we could I haven't seen anything like it in recent in sort of contemporary times but it sounds like a very kind of a smart play on both ends if you can if you can get the execution right yeah the, 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 in the late 40s I think maybe early 50s uh, some directors did try to do something like that. I mean, there was Liberty Films, which I think was Stephen uh, Capra. I'm not sure. You'd have to look it up. But there were a couple of attempts to do something like that mm. uh, earlier, but they also didn't. Well. So, how did The Sopranos' role happen? Let's see. Uh, sometime around the late early 90s, around 92. Um, I got a call from David Chase. He said, I'm, I'm show running a picture, uh, a series called Northern Exposure. Said, yeah, I know it. Said, Would you uh, like to have you play yourself on an episode we're going to do? A kind of tribute to Orson Welles. He's not in it, but, but he's dead by then, actually. Um, and uh, we'd like you to play yourself and come up here to Seattle where we're shooting and um, do it. I said, okay, sure. So I went to Seattle and um, worked for about three or four days. And on after the first day of Rare Rushes, he saw the dailies, uh, David, and he said to me, have you ever acted before? And I said, yeah, why? Why why you ask? No, no, he says, you're very good. He says, you got a lot of, a lot of presence, he said. Uh, you, should, you should do more of it. I said, no, thank you. Seven years later, <laughs> he called me again. He said, we're doing a series, we're doing the second season of a series called The Sopranos. I said, yeah, I, I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. I heard of it. You had never seen it? I hadn't seen it at that point. Okay. I heard of it, but I hadn't seen it. He says, uh, we'd like you to, he says, um, the therapist in the in the in the, in the series, uh, played by Lorraine Barclay, uh, is having so much trouble with her client Tony Soprano that she needs a therapist. We wanted to know if you'd like to play that. I said sure. Said, well, come on down and meet with the writers, and I did. And uh, they wrote it, for me, and I liked them, and they liked me, and that was it. <laughs> I did not any talk to the writers for. Me. You did an audition. You said. I didn't audition. I, I t- just came to the, came, went to the, to the uh, uh, studio. 
and met with met with the writers and we talked for a little while. So they custom built this character based on me. your mutual alignment. Yeah. Interesting. I had, I had nothing to do with, with, with the character right. or the plot. I just learned the lines and did it. Is there any origin story to the name? No, that's the name they came up with. You mentioned, and I also read this, that uh, David said that you had great presence. Um, you just said it a moment ago. And, you know, you're a film historian and an expert in the subject. But what does that mean? As someone who's a director, someone who's an actor, someone who's working for in this space, what does it mean to have great presence? Can you parse that? Well, I think what he meant was that I didn't, I didn't seem to be uh, intimidated by the, by the job. I seem to have a complete positive attitude and very, very unafraid. I kind of asked some process-oriented questions because a lot of young people listen to this podcast and first-time viewers of the show, and it's an opportunity for actors and directors and producers of your level to sort of also impart a little wisdom. So it's just sort of like, what does that mean in the world of being in front of a camera? Also, it means I'm comfortable in front of the camera. You don't know. I don't, I don't recede or anything like that. Oh, sure. No, and the character Elliot is uh, one of my favorite little dynamics. The The whole dynamic of Dr. Melfi and Tony is one of the reasons why I keep coming back to the show. It's sort of a, a version of therapy for my own self. And then the extra added value that Melfi has with Elliot is, is to me, priceless and timeless. A little aside, was your Simpsons voiceover a result of the character Elliot on The Sopranos, or was that coincidental? No, no, that was definitely because of the Sopranos. Okay. Now I'm going to make you put your film historian hat on and critic hat on a little bit for me. Contextualize the Sopranos. What about it is cinematic? What about it is television? And what about it is something else? Je ne sais quoi. Uh, I think it's great television. I think it sort of changed television. But it's, it's, it's not, I don't think it's specific to television, Frank. I mean, I think it's great television because it's a great series and brilliantly directed and, and written and acted. But it would be just as good on the big screen. It's just a, it's a series because the thing that's great about a series is that you, you have a long time to get to know the people, particularly if it's a hit. And... Um, Interestingly enough, I uh, was talking to Howard Hawks, uh, and we were talking about Rio Bravo, and I said, it's one of my favorite films of yours, and I said, uh, you hadn't made a film for three years at that point, three or four years. What made you decide to do a Western, and particularly a kind of an ensemble Western? And he said, well, I've been uh, not making pictures for three years or so. And I've been watching some television, which in a lot of television, he said, uh, it was getting very popular in those years when I was not working. And he said, and I noticed that on television, it wasn't the story that interested them, that, that, that they did. It was more the characters. The, the people would tune in week after week to, because they liked the characters, not so much the story. The story wasn't what held their interest. It was the characters. And, uh, and he said, I thought it'd be fun to do a picture like that where the story was very simple. A guy is in jail, he tries to keep him there. 
And uh, that's really the whole plot of Rio Bravo. The rest of it's all personal stuff between the characters. Mm. And uh, I said, well, Howard, you've always done that. <laughs> and he said, well, sometimes you do things and then you realize that you're doing them and then you do them again. Interesting. I'm also thinking of uh, 310 to Yuma having a very similar sort of simple plot and it was very just sort of character study. So you were in 14 episodes, and you directed one of them, Sentimental Education. What about that episode made it a good fit for you to direct? I think because the female character was emphasized, wasn't it? Yes, that was uh, Carmela's affair with the teacher. Teacher, yeah. Well, I think David thought I was particularly good with women. and uh, I've sure done that in a lot of movies, focused on the female. Yes. I think that's why I did it. She was definitely portrayed differently than she's ever been in episodes prior. How did you leave, and this might be the same answer, how did you leave your mark on the presentation of that episode? What about that episode was decidedly Peter Bogdanovich? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that way. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you. Um, somebody else would have to tell you. I just did the script as best I could uh, and helped the actors to find the right intention and so on but you know there's a funny thing david you weren't allowed to change any line or change anything without david's permission so i remember even i remember on, on that on that episode i i needed uh, just one line to cover a moment when carmilla takes off her uh, or puts on her sweater or something and it, it exposes her breast which i didn't really want to do at that point so I called David and said, I need a line to cover it. He came and gave me a line. We did it. Uh, for the last, you weren't allowed to add a line. So that was the only time that, only time that ever happened. But on the last episode that we did, uh, there was a very short scene between Carmilla and between uh, um, Lorraine and me in which uh, I give her, a, I offer her a Kleenex. She's crying. There wasn't anything else written. So we did the scene, and we were doing the scene, and David was directing it. He directed the pilot and the last episode. Yeah. And he says to me, uh, he's, he's over in Video Village, so I don't see him, I hear him. And he says, ask her a question. <laughs> and I thought, ask her a question? You mean I want to make up dialogue? Jesus Christ. So I didn't say anything, I just said, okay, and I asked her a question. Uh, David yells out, ask her a better question. <laughs> So I, I laughed and I said, "Fuck you, David. Uh, you're the writer. Give me a give me a line." And he did, and I guess he didn't like that either because the scene isn't in the it wasn't in the episode. I'm thinking about it as you're talking, and I don't remember there being a question. Oh, there is. There is no. no I don't think there's even a scene. Fascinating. Gave me an anecdote without me having to ask for one. So thank you. Um, <laughs> would Elliot have taken Tony as a patient if the tables were turned? Yeah, I think so. So I'm not sure about that. It's an interesting question. It's just a fun question. You know, he, he seems a little obsessed with Tony, almost jealous. Not, I don't know if jealous is the right word, but almost like, man, that would be a lot of fun if that was in my wheelhouse kind of a thing. Agree or disagree or indifferent? Well, I, I agree with you. He's definitely intrigued by Tony. And he's the one who springs that point at the, toward the end of the series where he says that uh, it's been postures it's been said by uh, a number of 
experts that that kind of therapy tends to help sociopaths to be sociopaths. Yes, yeah. Uh, that it comes out in one of the latter episodes. Powerful exchange. Yeah, very powerful and very good and very well written. And um, that is, David had read that a long time before he, he put it into the picture, into the series. And uh, I asked him, I said, it's just perfect, isn't it? I said, yeah, it is. Great ending to the whole idea of therapy of this kind of person. And I thought it was brilliant, actually. He said, he said I've been saving it for a while. Wow. Any comment on Elliot's water bottle? I know it's yours personally, but uh, it's become, 20 years later, people are still talking about it like it's uh, another character in the show. Well, what happened was, I think, on that first visit when I met with the writers, I was in the habit of carrying a a a bottle of water like that. My... my, uh, wife at the time had given me a, 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 a kind of a net carrying case. You put the plastic bottle in there and carry it around on your shoulder. I was drinking a lot of water at that time. I, I, I found that it was very important for me to drink the water. I carried the water bottle around and I went to the meeting with the writers with the bottle, uh, carrying the bottle because I always carried it around. And they liked it, and they figured, can we write that into the script? I said, sure. I don't care. Simple so as that. And, yeah, simple as that. And then uh, I would drink from it at a certain moment when we thought it was right. Were the sips in script, or were the sips spontaneous? Sometimes they were in the script. Other times the director would say, uh, why don't you take a sip of water after that? Or I would say, can I take a drink here? Um... But a lot of the times it was, it was in the script, Elliot drinks from the bottle. <laughs> I didn't even think for a minute that it would attract that much attention, but people... It's amazing. There's a, I'm, I'm not joking when I tell you that there's a cottage industry on the internet that discusses the uh, finer meaning behind the use of the water bottle and a merchandise line, or why isn't there a merchandise line of this water bottle and multiple variations thereof. Um, it is fascinating. Uh, isn't as big of a deal to me, but again, I'm, I'm asking for the masses that consume this on multiple levels. Yeah. I'm going to say a name, and you say the first word that comes to mind. David Chase. Lorraine Bracco. A lot of fun. James Gandolfini. Brilliant. Um, have you watched anything good lately? Uh, you mean on television? Or feature your choice. Just trying to get uh, a, trying to get a flavor for what's on your media diet and what you're liking right now. Well, to be honest with you, I haven't seen much the current crop of films. Is there a reason uh, why? Well, I'm just not that interested uh, in the stories of the, that, they, that, they're, that I read about. You know, I just haven't had time either. I've been very busy. And I just, strangely enough, I, I, you know, it's like the Oscars. There's no, no stars. I mean, Streisand was the only big star, really, and Julia, Julia Roberts. Um... They, 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 there were no stars. Why do people tune in? They don't tune in to see uh, people I've never heard of. 
But then I haven't heard of a lot of people that are current. It's all relative, right? Yeah. I liked uh, uh, Black Klansman. I thought that should have won. Okay. And I thought, I think Spike did a very good job. It's the only film that really, that I, it's probably one of the few films this, this year that I saw, but uh, last year. But um, I can say that the ending just killed me. Hmm. Uh, when, he, when he tied in the contemporary crap yeah. with uh, with the, uh, the old you know, period stuff. I thought it was a brilliant stroke, and it, it left me in tears, really. Wow. Anything on TV that interests you these days? No, I don't watch too much TV. Are you a fan of The Sopranos? Did you watch the series in its entirety? Oh, yeah, yeah, very much so. I thought it was brilliant. Is it going to age well? Oh, I think so. It's, it's not, it's, it's sort of age, ageless. Ageless? <clears throat> I mean, everybody knows what the mafia is. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, I think it is sort of timeless, yeah. Well, that's high praise coming from someone like you. Um, Peter, this has been an honor and a privilege. Thank you so much. 